Welcome to today's episode of The Square. A little bit different background today. I am in the model shop at Corrigan with the shop director, Dylan Wells. Thank you so much for being here, Dylan. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I'm a little jealous of all the tools. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, model design and kind of its place in an increasingly digital world. Um, but before we get into that, tell me, tell me a little bit about growing up. Like, were you one of those guys that was always like putting things together and fixing it, or was it something that came later in life? Um, kind of, I'd say it happened probably later growing up, early okay. on, not really surprisingly. I didn't much care for how things were put together. Uh, but later on, kind of messing around with my grandpa and his wood shop, mm -hmm. things like that, um, it actually probably started a lot with, I was a big skateboarder growing up, and so okay. you needed ramps to skate and stuff like that for the friends to come over. Yeah. And so I would help my grandpa weld rails together, build, you know, wood ramps, even start stacking random pieces that I could find that would fall apart, you know, moments later. So, um, yeah, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't the person taking apart radios to see how they work right, or anything right, right, like right. that. It was more just, I had interests like skateboarding or, Hey, I wanted to do this, that, or the other. And I used tools and the resources that I had via family members and things like that to kind of accomplish the goal, if you will. So it kind of came out of necessity. Yeah, very much so. So you actually started at Corgan as an architect in the aviation sector. Correct. So uh, yeah, I practiced in aviation, started interning in 2013 and was with the aviation studio all through my internships as well as when I went full-time and practice at the aviation did, studio. So did you spend much time w w in school at in the model shop? Was there something that kind of caught your eye at, at that point in time or was it really once you got here? Because the model shop, I mean, I can't overstate what you've done with the model shop since you took it over. I remember because it was right next to where we used to be in the media lab and it was a small closet, and by far the the two biggest tools used were an X-Acto knife, and we did have the laser printer, but those were pretty much the two things that got used the most in that model shop when mm -hmm. we were next to it. So you've taken it to another level. Did that? Did you do that in school as well, or was it just something you kind of found once you were here? Yeah, so I went to Texas Tech, and when I was going there, the program was very much, I would say model forward not that we only made models but usually all of the curriculum or studios or classes that you were a part of you had to make a model at some point sure. and so messing with all the tools in a different way instead of just doing you know furniture or home enhancement stuff that i might have done with my grandpa in the past or right. my dad um you know you were making architectural models you were trying to convey your design in some kind of physical model and form and because, you know, I went to school when it was very computer heavy, and I mean, it's even more right. so now, right? Um, it was kind of refreshing in a lot of ways to see the quality of the craft, get back to how people could take the design from a computer screen or a 2D image and actually construct it three-dimensionally. And the various approaches people would take, because there wasn't always a, hey, do this, that, or the other, or take this approach, you know? Right. People got to kind of even design, if you will, on how they chose to fabricate it, what tools and resources they chose to use. Um, so that was kind of early college. And then that was really also when the desktop 3D print movement was really sure, picking up speed. Because, um, you know, 3D printing is such a buzzword for new technology. And, it, you know, now even though it's been around for probably about 50, 40, 50 years now, um, but it coming to the desktop consumer level is really what caused it to go crazy and right. all of us to be familiar with them and now to be 
for them to become such staples on desks. And so um, we had a lot of 3D printers and that was my first time really being around a 3D printer was in college. And so I just got so enamored by the way that you could go almost straight from your digital file to output in this machine would do everything at a you know precise tolerance and right. that kind of stuff. And you do these complex shapes that you couldn't before in the past and how the technology and the physical world kind of interacted and complemented each other now instead of being, you know, you're either, oh, in the physical or in the digital and they're at odds with each other. These right. were actually complementing each other. And that paired with Texas Tech, and I know a lot of schools also do this, um, they had certificates under your master's degree that you could certify in areas of interest, if you will, in architecture. So like historic preservation or urban planning, that kind of thing. They sure. also had digital design and fabrication. So looking at robotics, 3D printing, how computers can output um, fabrication, you know, coding and programming. And so that was just my bread and butter, if you will. And right. so that's what I certified in. That's what I just kind of went full down that rabbit hole, if you will, and kind of where my interests lied, graduate school going into the profession. Tell me a little bit about the transition from being an aviation architect to the shop director. So that transition happened actually a lot quicker than I expected it to. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was practicing architecture in, in aviation uh, for a few years. And then the whole time, you know, still had the interest of, I have 3d printers at home. I love working on them. I was doing woodworking on the side, all this kind of stuff. So definitely had that craftsman hobby nature to myself on top of, you know, practicing architecture with our aviation sure. studio and coming off of college into, uh, Corgan, I noticed that, you know, uh, we had probably three 3D printers in our old shop, that kind of stuff, and half of them were broken, half of them weren't working, and I was just like, hey, let's get these online. So I remember partnering with uh, Matt Whetstone at the time, who's yep. here, and you know, I taught him, hey, this is, this is what this is, because he had interest in it and just wanted to learn, and so we started just sprinting down that avenue and fixing the 3d printers asking for upgraded parts getting them ready and then all of a sudden we had 3d printers that were working that kind of thing and it just so happened to align uh, closely with corgan expanding and renovating its office and so with that expansion the firm decided hey we really want to um, invest in model making as a firm. We see the value. We think it will enhance our designs, help our teams, um, help us better serve our clients. And so with that, they formed a committee of very talented individuals. You know, the, I think the benefit looking back is this, this is not a, a me thing. You yeah. know, I did not operate alone in any way. We had very skilled fabricators, hobbyists, people who have model shop experience, woodworking experience, metalworking experience, um, very skilled individuals that fill Corgan. Um, and we brought a lot of those, just a kind of small handful of those to form a committee of, hey, what does this look like? What does this want to be? How can we um, best create this at the firm? And that kind of committee landed on, well, we need a proper shop yep. with proper tools and it's probably a good idea to have one person running it. Yeah. Someone least. who's there yeah. full time, not trying to do the, Oh, Hey, dedicate 10 hours, hours yeah. you know, a week. <laughs> Cause then inevitably everything would probably get gummed up and we wouldn't be able to use it or it wouldn't go the places that we wanted it to go. And so from there we, you know, we formed, okay, this is going to be the shop. We're going to have someone. And then it kind of went through an interview process. And through that interview process, um, I was the 
lucky enough individual to, you know, for the firm to say, Hey, we want you to, to head this thing. And so that's when I transitioned full time into this. I think, I think it's interesting because everybody really maybe just out of habit refers to this as the model shop, but models, while a part of what you do, there's a lot of different, I think, um, uh, functions that the shop actually fulfills, not just models and maybe even, um, testing different materials and whatnot, but in, even in the pandemic, like I, I vividly remember you jumping in, um, and, and immediately like figuring out ways that you could help manufacture masks. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think traditionally people default when they see some shop in an architectural firm to, oh, they only do architectural models. Mm. Um, and yeah, we want to be pioneers of that, right? We want to supplement and enhance our design that we're giving to clients by um, having physical models that they can showcase, that they can talk through, that not only the internal teams can get excited about, but the clients can get excited about. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've got the tools and resources and we're consistently trying to um, grow and get more robust tooling and things like that, that professionals use for different installations or mass fabricators use things like that. And so the goal is to say yes to as many requests as we can, whether it's, um, an internal project need, a community need, whatever, you know, is for us to be well-versed in the tools, the processes, things like that. So that, um, we can kind of do whatever here in terms of fabrication that best facilitates the needs. Do you, do you think kind of the role of the model, the physical model has evolved over the last 20, 30 years? That one is a little tough to answer. I don't, I don't necessarily think the, the role has necessarily evolved. I think the means and methods have probably evolve. So I think, you know, in terms the, I don't think the model is a catch all, you know, I think it's supplement, it supplements the other design things that we're doing, renderings, digital models, boards, presenters, all that kind of stuff. Would would you say the primary purpose of a model is to give people who like can't look at 2D plans? Like uh, before I worked at Corgan, I couldn't look at 2D plans and kind of visualize what it's going to look like to give people like that, particularly clients, an idea of what it's going to look like in a 3D space? I think that's an aspect of it. I think it, you know, face value, that's generally what people associate with that. But I don't stop there because the amount of people who may not have valued models as much Mm -hmm. or maybe think, hey, we're in a digital age with rendering tools, VR, all that kind of stuff. Do we really need physical models? Or people, you know, who are well-versed in reading plans to see their face light up when you put even the most generic physical model in front of them and to see them immediately talk to it and do different things that they wouldn't have normally done if the model weren't present. I think it goes kind of beyond that just making what is not understood understood to people who might not be as well versed in reading plans or drawings or things like that. So I, I had the opportunity to visit the um, nautical museum in Annapolis a couple of weeks ago with my dad. He's, he used to from uh, like even before I was born, he loved to do model ships and I learned all about this history of the model ship would be developed right along with the real life ship. I mean, we're back in the 1700s, but they were incredibly detailed and they would be given to whoever it was that was basically the client of the ship, right? A government or a person or whatever. One of the things that I noticed was that the materials haven't changed that much in so much of what you work. I mean, I look around the shop and you have the robotic arms and you, 
you have 3D printers and injection and all kinds of tools I'm sure you haven't even shown me yet. But so much of this is still based around pretty basic materials like wood. Like you have a lot more in here that would be used to work with wood to see that not much has changed in terms of the material over 400 years. Why is that? I think we're seeing kind of both. I think we're seeing a lot of new materiality introduced. I mean, you know, a lot of the things, their genesis is nature of some sort, right? And their composite materials and things like that. Um, But rather than just move straight to, you know, gel printing and 4D printing that moves and has cellulose fibers in it and all this kind of crazy material, I think... Um, we're not completely just departing from the old traditional means and methods that we we can use. You know, wood, all that other stuff is still very applicable to the material we use, the properties we're looking for, the aesthetics we're looking for. So I, I think it's more we're trying to be um, more inclusive than, oh, we're just going to move forward with this one material, sure. things like that. You know, learn from all of that awesome handcraft stuff that we would see from old model shipbuilders or even the people that, that still have the hobby today. I mean, I'm always blown away at the craftsmanship that goes into something like that and seeing yeah. them. And that's just the hobby. No one even knows that they're doing it. They just do it because it's fun. And um, a lot of ways, some of those craftsmen are so skilled. I, f- I feel like some of those pieces are even harder than if I was actually, you know, nailing parts of the ship together yeah. um, and just how they're, how they're operating. So I think it's having respect for those traditional materials, methods, forms of, you know, model making or fabrication and pairing that with some of the new stuff we're seeing or advanced material science things that we're seeing. And letting it be kind of added into the process. <clears throat> exactly. All right, then let's kind of go a different direction. Tell me a little bit about like some some of the materials that are kind of unusual that you use and are there materials out there that you haven't worked with but you'd really like to? Yeah, so some of the materials that I find unique that we've, you know, used are a lot of 3D print materials. So you've got various plastics. You've got thermal property plastic that can change based on heat. Are you touching it? You know, do you have a heat gun, which is unique for um, our purposes? We've also got, you know, the dissolvable support filament. It's PVA based, which is just like Elmer's glue, essentially. Um, So you can fully support a print instead of traditionally ripping that away. You can go dissolve it in water, which opens up a lot of doors for 3D printing. Um, As well as just the the crazy advancements that we're starting to see in just recycling of plastic, you know, it's, it's not, um, unknown knowledge that plastic is not the best on the environment always and, uh, best on our oceans, but there are companies and systems in place to start to pull that plastic, recycle it, get it in pellet form that we can then re-extrude, um, into 3d printers. But I think one of the, one of the materials that I've worked with that I find really interesting is the new advancements that we're seeing in like 3D printed metals or the company Mm. that we use for our SLA resin printing form labs, they're experimenting with, and we've got some pieces and parts that we've started messing with where it's, um, and I don't fully understand the properties of it. I should uh, learn a little bit more about it, but you essentially can 3D print clay or ceramic and then kiln dry it and you've got a fully hardened ceramic part so things like that i find really interesting or even something like the concrete mixtures that we're seeing in the um 3d printed construction world you know with the companies that are 3d printing concrete their custom mixtures and the things that they've had to figure out in order to extrude and be successful with that process i find very very interesting 
I would imagine, you know, with the creativity that you have, there's um, a lot of ideas that come out. There's, there's certainly there's ones where, you know, people come to you or clients come to you and say, hey, we need to do this project. But when, uh, apart from those, when you're thinking through ideas in terms of furthering, you know, the shop design process or just even personal ideas, how do you kind of weed through those to figure out which ones are worth actually creating and which ones kind of just hit the shop floor? Um, I think it's always just creating the list, never saying no to the list, if you will. Um, you know, it's, there's always so many avenues you can go, whether it's exploring something new or expanding upon something new that you see versus something that, you know, is well implemented in other spheres that you're like, I didn't know about that. And I'd like to bring that in. Um, so I think having that kind of wish list is good and we create that and we kind of, you know, sky's the limit on, on creating that list. And then through, fortunately I'm surrounded by other individuals and a team. It's not just me out here to, you know, (laughs) kind of wade the water if you will. But, um, you know, coming back to our goals, what does the firm really need? What's the ask right now? Um, not staying in the present, but also being, you know, proactive in what is the future ask likely to be? And then kind of narrowing that list from there on, Oh, we definitely need to invest in this resource. We need to, um, Ooh, introduce efficiencies to this resource, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's usually in tandem with those, both, both those things. All right, so I know um, for various reasons, a lot of the projects you may be working on now, you can't talk too much about, but tell me about some of the projects that, um, or the types of work you want to do more of. Yeah, so I really think that there's a lot of opportunity in one-to-one fabrication. I think we've got a lot of great tools and resources now, Um, a lot of tools and resources that you would see at fabrication firms and Mm -hmm. businesses that produce this stuff. Um, and I'm really excited for us to enter into more of that. We just recently did a couple mock-up custom perforation pattern panels for a project and we did it one-to-one. So it was a four foot by 10 foot model. Mm. We got with our lighting designer and the project team and actually used the lights that are likely to be specced on the project to see how it was going to flood and give them a, more realistic than what they were getting out of, you know, rendering softwares and things like that, that can take you to a point, but seeing it in real life, getting the scale, seeing people beside it, seeing how the light actually flows through that space and that design, I think was really valuable. And we were able to knock that out relatively quickly with the tools and resources that we have in house in the shop and really service, um, and respond to that need or that request. And so I really just want us to you know, still do the traditional models and things that we were talking about earlier, how that's kind of the, not necessarily stigma, but the face value of a model shop, you generally think smaller scale models, but we've got the tools, resources, and ability to upscale that to -to one-to-one mock-ups in real world conditions or staging of samples, that kind of stuff for, for projects. Why do you think it's important, you know, in a world that's increasingly digital, like you were saying, even when you were in school, so much of what you were doing was so computer heavy, Why do you think having that physical object is still important? I don't think we can ever fully get away from the physical world. Um, I, you know, when you're in CA on a project and you're starting to see things come to life that you had just digitally created or created on plans or the contractors producing mock-ups for, um, certain detail items or things that need to get, you know, talked about on the project. I think there's, there's an aspect of that, that 
that grounds it and you start to see the space, the volumes. And then with your experience in these things, generally architects and interior designers can play off that to understand and further, um, the way that they design in the future, you know, based on, Oh, maybe I should have, you know, expanded that volume or that space, or maybe that was too tight. And I've even experienced in, uh, when I was practicing architecture, you know, there'd be times where, you're designing and you're, you're meeting building code on a corridor or something like this. And then you do something as simple as hop into VR and you immediately start to get spatial awareness, even in the synthetic environment. And you're like, Oh, Hey, no, we need to expand this. This is way too tight. This is going to be claustrophobic, that kind of stuff. And I think in the same way, relying too much on, you know, digital screens and software for some of these facade elements or the physical environment things that we're doing when we could easily crank out a mock-up that's at least representative doesn't necessarily have to mean we have to source the actual you know metal panel and get it powder coated and all this it's kind of running the middle ground and in initial study I think is is super valuable and actually seeing the scale of that seeing that in place and the condition that you're proposing and ultimately it helps us better serve our clients in the end you know obviously you're somebody who is going to be you're constantly researching things. You're constantly looking at trends and whatnot. What are some of the resources that you use to stay on top of tools, trends, materials, all that kind of stuff? <laughs> um, they're, they're nothing spectacular. Unfortunately, I'd love to give you some big high scholarly answer. <laughs> um, some of it is, you know, really paying attention to what universities are doing with the grant funds that they have, you know, robotic arms have been common since I was in, college and are even more common now and the experience that like computational design has. So seeing what, what students are doing and the experience and the skill set is honestly just so impressive to, to understand and look into. Um, it's also looking at firms that are structured around innovative fabrication technologies um, and are really pioneering that. You know, there's a few architects that have gone off and done different fabrication things and really following them, seeing what they're doing and seeing that that interest expand. But yeah, it's, it's all of that compounded with a lot of Googling, a lot <laughs> of, um, unfortunately, like YouTube and social yep. media. I mean, yep. it's flooded with good resources and good information. I think you'd honestly be foolish not to explore those those avenues in an interest that you have. Is is there someone, um, even throughout your life, that you've kind of looked up to or someone that's inspired you, whether it's recent or long-term? Um, not, not really a single person. There's probably, you know, 10 to 15 people, really. I, I usually find different people to fulfill different niche interests I have. Sure. And I think I'm constantly referencing and respecting skill sets in different industries, ones that I'm not even well versed in, you know, um, whether it's, uh, some people I follow that are heavy, you know, videographers or film people and just seeing the, the craftsmanship in the trade that they, they go into, or maybe it's people that I do have some experience with what they're doing, whether it's woodworking or fabrication or, um, car stuff and seeing the way that they film and do angles and take time to do certain intricate steps that I find very valuable. And also I think carries over into any design field or other. Uh, is, is, uh, is there a project that kind of stands out to you as one that you were really, you know, really proud of or one that pushed you or kind of, I don't know, stands out as you think back? I think they all push me in different ways. (laughs) Uh, You know, by the end of it, there's always so many lessons learned. And I think everyone um, 
you know, experience teaches you through those lessons learned and you're able yeah. to like really grow in your profession, no matter what it is. I think sometimes that's an undervalued thing. We want to be perfect all the time. And so I think looking back on what we've done thus far, that's kind of the biggest takeaway is everything has a lessons learned. Um, and through that lens, I would say one of the, the biggest growth steps was probably that big neom seven foot yep. diameter model that we did because um, i remember we got that request i think right when we had just screwed in the final you know bolt on the cnc hadn't even optimized <laughs> it haven't hadn't really messed with it the shop had just come online we didn't even have you know probably three hammers in here yeah. and stuff like that and it was just <laughs> hey we're gonna go we're gonna do this we're gonna tackle this and the the growth that we experienced and understanding and how the process works, interacting with team dynamics, all of that kind of stuff is, you know, not fun necessarily in the time, yeah. but fun <laughs> to look back on and see what we learned from, well, from still, that experience. That's, so. I mean, I, I love that model. You you guys did an incredible job with that model. It's Thank beautiful. Um, okay. So then the other side of that is, is there something that you, um, you know, wish you had done differently or a setback that really, you know, taught you something different for that specific model or for anyone, any model. Okay. Cause I'll, I'll piggyback off my previous answer and say, there's almost <laughs> always <one> <laughs> something that I want to change, uh, in, in the future moving forward. I think the thing that I would tell myself back then, if I could on, you know, not only that model specifically, but just models moving forward is one of the most important things you can do is start to really reach out and make partnerships in your material sourcing. Um, mm. It's kind of like processing power for, you know, rendering or running Revit or the software that we do. Um, as architects and interior designers, you know, if you've got a dumpy computer from the 90s, you know, you're probably not going to get very far. Yeah. It's kind of same with material. You know, you can get so much stuff from like basic box stores, but you really got to just do your research, invest in material selection, um, proper lumber uh, sourcing, plastics, acrylics, all that kind of stuff. So it's really about recognizing those players in the market and reaching out and making and establishing those relationships. What excites you about the future of not just architecture, but specifically, you know, the shop and the fabrications aspect of it? I am super pumped at the technology that's being introduced to our industry. I think we have a <clears throat> notoriously um, conservative industry, uh, based off risk liability. And there's reasons for that. You know, obviously sure. we're designing buildings that people will inhabit and those have to be safe and functional and ultimately, um, you know, be mindful of the well being of the users. But sometimes I think that's to a fault where mm -hmm. I think these new technologies that are being introduced, you know, they've been a long time coming. They've, they're seen in other manufacturing industries like the car industry, things like that. And so I'm, I'm eager to see architects become hopefully with this new technology, um, more immersed in the basic fabrication processes of the buildings they're constructing, things like that, um, to understand that technology more for, um, us to follow somewhat suit of what some architects have done in fully changing their careers to fabrication, yeah. but just being more well integrated with all the trades. You know, I'm also excited to see hopefully with the new technology, um, newer and younger generations start to filter back into those trades jobs, you know, running robots, running different computationally driven solutions that are now entering our, 
our industry as a whole. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for letting us invade the shop and uh, smell the, the sawdust and, uh, and just have this great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Glad to have it. And if you would like to uh, find out a little bit more about some of the resources Dylan was talking about, make sure to check out the links below and watch the next episode. Thanks so much.